0: Hello and welcome to the Victory Alabang podcast. You're listening to a message from our preaching series entitled Amazing Grace. Together, we'll gain a biblical understanding of God's amazing grace and how it transforms our lives. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. For those of you who are joining us for the first time uh, and are not familiar with our series, our series is on the amazing grace. And how many of you are grateful for the grace of God in your life? Uh, you know, grace is something that we don't deserve. We don't work for it. you don't earn it. But it's just freely given to all of us. In fact, if you've missed out on some of the... Uh, Preachings in the previous Sundays. Uh, we do hope that you can um go to our Victory Alabang podcast. You can download it uh in your own uh mobile device, whether iPhone or Samsung or uh Google uh, uh devices, uh and it's available there, it's for free. And uh you know you can actually listen to it uh on your own uh time as you travel. All right, um we are on week number three. And uh, last week, Pastor JJ preached on sufficient grace. And I think it's a timely word, message, uh, knowing full well that we as a nation are going through some difficulties. Um, The uh, relief work in Taal is continuing uh, and uh, we're constantly still uh, receiving goods. But uh, I think the second phase Would be needed. We're going to be sending some medical uh, teams as well And some people who counsel, trauma counseling And so if you want to join us, please uh, talk to one of us after the service And we are organizing a team to be sent there There are a lot of people still in the evacuation center uh, But I think this morning there was a news from Feebox That uh, they've lowered down the status alert level from 4 to 3 And how many of you know that is good news? Amen Can we just uh, give the Lord a hand for that? And we're asking God to dissipate already, not to uh, let the Taal uh, express its anger by exploding lava and rocks and it did uh, I think in the, in the '60s, but we don't want to happen for that anymore and so uh, we're continuing to ask the Lord to, uh, to let it still we want to speak to the volcano peace be still and so that the people can also uh, move back to their respective residences all right um, you know in- interestingly, uh, as this has been happening. And my wife has been watching different kinds of movies and volcano, Dante's Peak, Krakatoa, and it's just uh, you know uh, interesting. And so we we continue to pray uh, for for our nation that it will no longer happen. All right. So uh, today we're looking at uh, the next uh, aspect or facet of grace called sanctifying grace. Everybody say sanctifying grace you know many of us uh or people that i know are actually engaging some services of coaches uh one of the growing industries nowadays is what you call life coaching whether life coaching or sports coaching people hire the service of a coach in order for them to uh be better uh, a better person maybe become more successful to achieve more uh one of my friends pastor actually bishop fredikabiling uh hired the uh services of a sports coach, a running coach. As he decided to run when he was turning 50 uh, two years ago uh, to run across the Philippines, uh, for his hobby, he would actually run about 116 kilometers. Can you imagine that? Anyway, couldn't imagine him doing that. So, What he did was he hired himself a coach, a running coach, so that he can actually correct his form. And uh, it actually made him better and run the extra mile. Some people uh, hire the the service of life coaches. And uh, they want to be able to achieve more, whether in the area of career or maybe in business, and so on and so forth. But how many of you know that there is actually a better coach, and it's for free? And this particular coach is actually something that uh, you and I do not deserve, And it's called the grace of God. Everybody say the grace of God. And we're going to be looking at a particular text that actually uh, teaches us that this coach, this grace is the one that instructs us, is the one that enables us, the one that prepares us. And this one we need on a daily basis. Okay. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you kindly open to the book of Titus? Let's go back to Titus this morning. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11 to 14, we're reading from the ESV version once again. Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14. I'd like to invite everybody to stand as we give reverence to the Word of God this morning. We will all be reading from verse 11 until verse 14 of Titus chapter 2. I'd like to invite everybody to read along with me, okay? Ready? One, two, three. For the grace of... Of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much once again for the beauty of your word that gives us life. We ask, our God, that you would allow us to see from uh, the teaching of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, what it is for us to be sanctified by your grace. And we thank you, Lord God, that as a people of God, we will not be satisfied with just being saved and be justified, but Lord, we will actually be prepared to do good works. And Lord, uh, to, to anticipate the, the future coming of our God and Savior King, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord God, that you will transform us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. You may all be seated. You know, in the book of uh, Philip Yancey, I think the title is What's So Amazing About Grace, and that's our title uh, for this series, What's So Amazing About Grace. How many of you find grace amazing? You know, I hope that you still do. amazing grace, uh, you know, in this book, he was talking about a particular conference in England, and some of the top theologians were gathered together. They were asking, What is one unique thing that Christianity has brought to humanity compared to other world religions? And so different uh, uh, answers came up, like the incarnation of Christ, you know, somehow he became man, he is God, he became man. Some uh, suggested that, you know, maybe it's resurrection. Uh, but yet, one particular guy named C.S. Lewis came into the meeting and he was asked by these theologians now how about you mr lewis Uh, what do you think is the unique contribution of christianity to humankind and he said simple it's the grace of god it's so unique because many of the world religion is talking about merit or work that somehow in order for us to be able to be accepted by god you need to do something to earn your salvation be good you know, uh, you know, the Buddha has their own uh, way of being good. The, the Muslims have their own way of being good. Uh, even the Jewish people have their, the covenant of God. Somehow that that is a prerequisite for them to approach God. But yet Christianity is talking about us, you know, coming to the Lord based not on our merit, but simply based on the grace of God. How many of you know that is mind-boggling? That even if you don't seem to deserve it, That God's invitation is already there. In fact, uh, some of the theologians are talking about these four uh, statements or verses that we've just read. And they said that these four verses have been called one of the greatest summaries of Christian truth by uh, Homer Kent. Another theologian said one of the richest passages of the Holy Writ or the Scriptures. One of the gems of the New Testament by uh, Dr. Gary Demarest. And then uh, another guy by Dr. Uh, Edmund Hebert said... Paul's masterly epitome of Christian doctrine as the proper foundation for all scriptural demands. In other words, this particular text we've just read somehow summarizes what it is for for us to walk into the life of being a believer all solely by the grace of God. And so I hope that we look at the grace of God and say, Lord, thank you so much that every single day when we wake up in the morning, Lord, thank you for your transforming power of your grace. Thank you, Lord God, that I am no longer the same today as I was yesterday. How many of you are grateful for that? How many of you are grateful that your spouse is no longer the same today as she or he was yesterday? And it's not our job to change our spouse. Everybody say amen. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's by the grace of God that we can actually be transformed and be changed every single day. You know, Paul was writing, once again, you know, when you talk about the book of Titus, he was writing to his companion Titus, and he was a young pastor left, and he was uh, talking about an assignment in verse 5. It says, I left you behind so that you should put everything in order in that particular church or city in Crete where everything was in disarray. The people there were, you know, you, uh, as we talked about two weeks ago, they were liars, they're vicious beasts, and they were uh, lazy gluttons. You know, what a kind of people that, uh, Titus is supposed to pastor. But yet, you know, he said, I want you to instruct them in verse two. In chapter two, he started off by talking about some instructions. He was giving instructions to the older men. You have to ask, uh, you know, behave this way. And then in verse two, he said, the older women, women, are to to behave this way as well now the younger women are to to behave this way as well and then in verse uh four uh sorry six to the younger men give this instruction verse 7 he gave the instruction to titus and then he further in gave instruction to uh the slaves in verse 9 it's interesting that he was giving instruction but what was the basis of them wanting to obey this instruction and then he proceeded in verse 11 to 14 the verse we've just read normally when you look at the the work of the apostle paul every time he would write a letter he would first write about doctrine before practice in this particular book of titus he reversed it he flipped it he talked about practice before doctrine but yet what's amazing about this is the doctrine is the theology of grace that empowers us to live a life that is holy and pure and pleasing to god amen apart from the grace of god we will not be good of course, you have heard of that song, it amen. Because that is so true. It is not about you, it's about the grace of God in us. Working in us, working through us, changing us, and transforming us. What is the grace of God? Basic uh definition of the grace of God is the unmerited favor of God. We know that. But yet, what interesting um definition that I've actually found is it is the effective overflow of God's loving presence in our lives. That is the grace of God. It is the effective overflow, everybody say overflow, of God's abiding, loving presence in our lives. It is not kind of like a substance or a table salt on the table. and you, know, When your food is uh, not tasting good, you sprinkle a little bit of salt so that it can actually taste better. It's not like somebody, you know, for example, if you're traveling, you know, your parents give you some pocket money to spend on a vacation. It's something that is more than what we need. In fact, when we were, um, you know, traveling in, back in Hong Kong back in the day, uh, I, br- I brought my young girls and we went to Ocean Park. And, you know, there's a portion there when you actually watch like a water show. Where in like killer whales and dolphins would actually go and, you know, do their own dance. And there are like first, I think three or four or five rows that are called splash zones. How many of you are familiar with that? If you went to sea where your world, you're familiar with that. The first three or four rows are called the splash zones. If you sit in the splash zone, expect to get wet. Don't, you know, don't anymore complain. Ah, basa ako. You know, you sat there, expect to get wet. How many of you know that when you talk about the grace of God, you're always in the splash zone? Always expect to get wet with the grace of God. Amen. It's an effective overflow of His love and kindness and mercy and compassion to the people that He loves. That is what the grace of God is. It is more than just something that's passive. It is not like, you know, some people describe it like a liquid substance. You know, I am just flowing in the grace of God. Or I am immersed in the grace of God. Sometimes we picture grace as something that's inanimate. But yet we've read in the scripture that the grace of God is actually a person. The grace appeared to us in the personification of Jesus. That is what grace is all about. And what is this sanctifying grace now that we are talking about? How many of you know that you and I are a work in progress? Please raise your hand if you're convinced about that. You're not yet done. You're you're a work in progress. You're under construction, right? But you're getting better. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person you're getting better. We're getting better. We're getting better every day. Not by our own will, not by our own action, not by our own... Yeah, we desire to get better, but it's all by the grace of God. We're getting better. You're more patient today than yesterday. And sometimes you get some relapse, right? <laughs> we're becoming patient again. But yet, we're getting better. We're getting better. And I believe God's changing us every single day, transforming us. You know, when you talk about the sanctifying grace of God, of course, we cannot not talk about the justifying grace of God in week one. Just to give us a quick review, John Wesley said that justification is the doorway of salvation and the beginning of what? Transformation. Without justification, you cannot be sanctified. You have to walk into the doorway. If there's a house of salvation, walk into the doorway of grace. That's the doorway of salvation. And then when you are in the living room, I'm talking about the transforming power, the sanctifying grace, the living room part of the house of salvation. Sanctification is what empowers us to begin to live the life that pleases God. It is more than just being sanctified or justified or having faith in God. It's more than just going to heaven. How many of you know that you and I are going to heaven someday? And that's great. But what are we supposed to do while we're here on earth? We're being sanctified. We're called to do good works. In fact, the Bible says that we are to be zealous, to be eager to do good works. Sanctifying grace is the second work of grace. It's the deeper work of grace. It's the point wherein you actually love God more. It's the expression now that you can actually love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you can actually love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is the work of God. Before we were selfish, before we were dead in our transgressions, before we were only thinking about ourselves. But now we start thinking about others. How many of you know, and I'm just so grateful for this church, it's much easier for us to call on, you know, like a relief good, and people respond because people are no longer thinking much about their comfort zone, but they're thinking about other people already. And that's the work of grace in our lives. In fact, we are just amazed, you know, because If goods are coming, money is coming, you know, just, and people are asking, how can we help? How can we be part of this? You know, is there an next phase? you know? I'm a doctor. I want to be able to go there and help you. So we said, okay, we'll organize. You don't want to just scatter it. But, you know, the the intention was there. And we, we see the heart of people moving from selfishness to generosity. How many of you know that is the grace of God? Solely by the grace of God. Reminds us that we are all work in progress as the grace of God. Christianity is not about perfection, but about what? Progress. In fact, Christianity for me is about daily repentance. You don't just repent when you got justified. I believe you and I need to repent on a daily basis. Because when you talk about repentance, repentance is not beating your body. It's not just, you know, wishing that God will forgive you. Repentance is actually from the Greek word metanoi, which is a changing of the mind. How many of you know that we need to transform our minds daily? There are some things that we think about are not aligned to the Word of God. And repentance and sanctification, that's the work of the grace of God in our lives. When we start thinking right, when we start aligning ourselves to the, to the will of God, that is the work of grace, the work of Repentance. So my question for us this morning is, are works necessary for salvation to be saved? Nope. It is still by grace. Everybody say, by grace. It is not a work-oriented salvation, but yet after we got saved, God calls us to do good works. Now that we're saved, we are sanctified so that we can do good works. We don't do good works so that we can be saved, but now that we are saved, we are called to do good works. Sanctifying grace is the work of God in as it enables us to live godly and righteous lives in this present age, in the age that we live in right now, in the age of, you know, where people can actually just say, you know, it doesn't matter how you live. You know, uh, you know there's no absolutes. You know, we, you, it's all relative. You know, good is relative depending on the person defining it. But yet God is calling us to live godly and righteous in this present age. By God's grace, we learn to be patient by lining up in a restaurant and by driving graciously to people and letting the pedestrians cross in front of us. Praise God. We will all learn that eventually. By God's grace, we become selfless and think about ourselves too much and think about serving others. By God's grace, we start being generous and not being stingy. By God's grace, we learn how to forgive others for the offenses and the wrongs done to us. It's all by the grace of God. By the grace of God, we realize that we have been forgiven first. That's why we can actually forgive others. And I realize that there are situations sometimes that are so difficult for us to forgive. Especially if it's the same person and it's the same offense. And if we leave with that person every single day. I'm talking about marriage. It is by the grace of God that we can actually honor our spouse and move together as one. Paul could not think of a Christian truth and conduct apart from God's grace. It's all dependent on God's grace. Everything that we live for, everything that we do, everything that we are planning in the future, it is all by the grace of God. And there are two extremes, I know not understand. About the grace of God. Two wrong mindsets. One is like, you know, in this world, it's all a merit system, right? You have to, you know, you have to accomplish things in order for you to move forward. In school, how many of you are students? Please raise your hand. In order for you to graduate, you got to pass the exams. It's a merit system. You cannot just say, it's by the grace of God. You know, you have to study. You have to pass the exam. If you want to be, the you know, an excellent student, an achiever, you've got to... Achieve a certain kind of GPA in work. It's also like that. You gotta be excellent. You gotta beat deadlines. You gotta deliver. You gotta be the best uh, you know, employee in your in your in your uh, in your company in order for you to be uh, to be um, uh, promoted. It's a merit system. And that's why sometimes we think that the grace of God is also like that. Especially you know, growing up in this very religious culture. We think of that, you know, we need to earn a lot of poggy points in our pot in order for us to be accepted by God. I've done good things. I did, I did this. I obeyed my parents. You know, I respected my wife and so on and so forth. But it's not about a marriage system. The other extreme part of grace is licentiousness. Live your life whatever you want. There's something in between. That is the right Mindset about the grace of God. God's grace first saves and then trains His people for godliness and good deeds. This is our takeaway truth right now. If there's anything that you want to remember, it's this. God's grace first saves us and then trains us for godliness and good deeds. It is more than about just us going to heaven. It's us being transformed more and more into the image of our Savior King, Jesus Christ. Every single day, God's chipping away those bad habits. The work of grace sometimes is uncomfortable. If you ask for you know, prayer, like many times I ask, Lord, help me to be patient. And the more I pray that prayer, the more God sets up things that tests my patience. My patience, particularly in my own home, not with you guys because it's easy to be patient with you. Next, yeah, <laughs> you know. But yet, God sets up things to chip away, you know, things in our in our in our life. What is the work of God's uh, sanctifying grace? First, the grace of God. Saves us. And we see this in the scripture that we just read. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Everybody say, All people. You know, this particular word appeared uh, in the Greek is called epiphano. This is where we get the word epiphany. You know, like, uh, something that you just realized, it dawned on you, Eureka, you know, something that, wow, you know, it, it arrived, you know, some, somehow I realized that this is something that I need. Epiphano. Epiphany. The grace of God is not something, it's someone. The grace of God appeared to all of us, bringing salvation for all people. You know, this, interesting word, epifino. It's kind of like, you know, the first time I went into a Japanese uh, sushi bar and I actually saw this green stuff and I realized that it's not guacamole. It's not made of avocado. It's wasabi. And the first time I actually put it on my sushi, epifano. Epifino. If you put too much, oh wow, the explosion in your mind and in your brain suddenly appears. You can actually feel it. It is the grace, epiphany, that appeared to us. It brings salvation for all people. Does this mean that everybody will be saved? As in, like what the other universalists are saying? Not necessarily. But the grace is available for everyone to get saved. In fact, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Think about yourself, myself. Think about the hardest person in your family. Think about the hardest heart that you have in your office. You know, sometimes we actually give up on people, but how many of you know that God does not give up on people? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people, all kinds of people. Despite the depth of your badness, you cannot be disqualified from the grace of God. And in spite of the level of your goodness, you can never earn the grace of God. It's all by grace. It has appeared to all of us. And sometimes a major hindrance that we have is really our self righteousness. But there's nothing that we can do to disqualify us from the grace, nothing that you can add so that you can actually qualify to earn the grace of God. Secondly, the grace of God trains us. Everybody say, trains us. You know, what's interesting is this coach, this trainer, this instructor called grace is available for us daily. The question is, are we tapping on this grace? We've read this in verse 12 in ESV, training us to what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In the NASB, it says, instructing us to do what? To deny. So you have renounced. you've got deny, ungodliness, the desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What's interesting is in the NIV, it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What does it mean to renounce and to deny? Just say no. Just say no to sin. Just say no to temptation. Pastor, it's easier said than done. That's why the grace of God is there. The grace of God appeared to save us and the same grace appeared so that it can be empowered to say no to sin. No to ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace is never a sign of passivity and weakness. Grace empowers Grace gives us the strength and the will to say no to sin and yes to God. In other words, God's grace trains us to say yes and to say no. Two things that the grace of God teaches us it uh, uh, trains us. Say yes. Everybody say yes. Yes to what? Say no. Say no. No to what? It teaches us to renounce or deny or say no to two things, ungodliness and worldly passions. You know, ungodliness refers to a person or ungodly refers to a person who does not acknowledge that there is a God. "Some, said, some says, uh, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. He is someone who lives as if there is no God. That is what ungodliness is all about. There's no fear of God. You know, it's not just having a rebellious heart and say, I don't believe in you. It may be somebody who says, okay, I'm going to attend the service on a Sunday, but I'm going to live my life from Monday to Saturday however I want to live it. That is also ungodliness. Worldly passions refer to desires that are characteristic of this worldly system that is opposed to God. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It includes selflessness or selfishness, it includes pride, it includes lust. Secondly, God's grace trains us how to live or to behave, to say yes to things. In fact, it teaches us to say yes to three things. Live sensibly. Everybody say live sensibly. Everybody say live uprightly. And everybody say live godly. Sensibly means living in a self-controlled manner, not yielding to various passions and lusts. That is what being sensible is all about. You have self-control. The grace of God is the one that gives you self-control. I know that in Galatians chapter 5, The fruit of the Spirit is also what? Self-control. And it's the work of God's grace in our lives to teach us to control ourselves. You know, during the fast, five days, how many of you know that we need the grace of God during that time? Everybody's eating and you're fasting. You need self-control. Now that the fast is over, I hope that we still have the grace of God to control everything. Live uprightly talks about integrity, talks about living a life that is upright before fellow men. And living godly means having a pure devotion before God. So in other words, these three things, the grace of God teaches us to say yes to self-control, to upright, being upright, and to be godly. It refers to how you are to control yourself refers to how you are to behave before others, and it teaches you also how to behave before God. That is the work of the grace of God. That's why when you talk about sanctifying grace, can't help but talk about first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come that is talking about the sanctifying work and the grace of God. It's not talking about perfection. It's talking about transformation. In fact, sanctifying grace is not just about change. It is about transformation. As we started this year, I think many of us wrote down like part of our faith goals, you know, I want to do this. Maybe some of you wrote, I want to lose twenty pounds, or maybe I want to be more successful in this. I want to achieve uh, you know, better grades, I wanna save up for this, I want to you know, there are th- things that we've done or maybe put into us goals that want us to change or to do something about our future for this year. But yeah, when you talk about sanctifying grace, sanctifying grace is not about just changing. Sanctifying grace is about transforming. Change is about what you are doing and transformation is about what you are becoming. We are all new creation. We've been changed by the grace of God. The very nature has changed. The reason why you and I sinned before is because we were sinners. It's so natural for us to sin. But now the nature has been transformed and you've been given a new heart and a new spirit and you're no longer called sinners. You're now called a saint. Look at the person beside you and that is a saint sitting beside you. And the reason why that person is capable of doing things that are good is because of the new nature. Not yet perfect, but yet progressing more and more into the image of Christ. The reason why fish can swim is because naturally they have gills and they can swim. Birds can fly because it's their nature to fly. Saints can do good because it's now your new nature. You've been transformed into a new nature. Amen. Last point as I come to a close. The grace of God not only saves us, it does not only train us it also prepares us prepares us for what prepares us for something in the future verse 13 it says waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glorious of, of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In fact, we see that in the four verses that we've read twice, it was mentioned the appearing. The grace of God appeared before all men. And now we see this word again, the appearing of glory. Epiphany, same word. The appearing of grace, the appearing of glory. The appearing of something in the past, the appearing of something in the future. You can actually look At the past and say, God, thank you so much that your grace appeared before me. Yet as a people of God, God wants us to look forward in the future. Because there's another appearing, another epiphany. The glory of God is going to be seen in the future as he welcomes us into his eternal dwellings. Bible says we are being trained in this present age for the next age. In fact, we are the bride of Christ. And you know, I attended the wedding of Pastor Paul's son. And the scripture that remind, uh, you know, that came to my mind is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. To present her, the bride, to himself, the groom, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy. And blameless. How many of you have attended a wedding? Please raise your hand. You've attended a wedding. You've seen a wedding. How many of you once were a bride? You know, for for the weddings that, countless weddings that I have attended, as a pastor, even as a guest, I've always seen that the bride is the most beautiful on that wedding day. I have never seen a bride with ketchup on her face, just ate a burger, dripping, you know, all over her dress. But every bride has prepared herself to meet. Her husband to be. I don't know how many hours each bride has spent doing makeup, maybe four days, I don't know. Just, you know, preparing herself, taking a bath in milk, you know, doing all this beauty regimen, you know, wanting to present herself as beautiful as she can be before her man. You know, when I Attended that wedding. What was amazing was, you know, Nathan, the son of Pastor Apollo, was crying as the bride was approaching. And the bride was also crying as she was seeing her groom. What a beautiful picture of what we ought to have as our relationship with Jesus. We, the church, were called the bride of Christ. And I believe that one day, Jesus is looking forward to meet us without spot, blemish, wrinkle, but radiant and beautiful and holy and blameless. I can only imagine what Jesus is going to feel someday. Is He going to cry? Is He going to be excited? Is He going to be, I believe that all the emotions will be there. But I hope that as a bride, that we are making ourselves ready. We're preparing ourselves for the coming King. Because one day, this is going to be the most glorious wedding that we will actually see. It's more than just the wedding of the decade or wedding of the year, wedding of the century. It's going to be the wedding of the universe. We're preparing ourselves for His coming. When President Jimmy Carter was the President of the United States, during his time in the White House, it was said that the president did something that no other presidents tried to do. On several occasions, he would actually stay in homes of common Americans. And he would actually ask one of his staff to call randomly some people because what he wanted to do was he wanted to stay and he wanted to get the pulse of the needs of the American people. But imagine with me for a moment, if one day you received a call from the White House, and said that you have been chosen by the president and your home will be his home for about a month. Can you imagine that for me, with me for a moment? Your kitchen will be on national television, your living room, your sala, your bedroom will be seen by millions of Americans. My question for us is what will you do when the president finally arrives in your home? I believe that you will get your house ready because the president of the land is coming to stay with you. Guess what? Someone greater than the president is coming to meet with us. And he is no less than the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our glorious Savior, King Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on now. And we ought to prepare as the bride of Christ. Because one day, we're going to see him as he is. And in a twinkling of an eye, all our imperfections will disappear. And we will look exactly like him. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalabang.church.